Steal Colasar, score! Keegan Colasar, the pickpocket, and he cashes in. Three nothing Vegas. Seven minutes into the first period, whacking that thing around. Vegas back in. Marcheseau gets it towards the goal. It's sticked aside by Hill. Carlson with it on the right wing. Goes out high. Here's Petrangelo. He shoots off the pipe. No. Shove it in. Cleared out by the Coyotes with five seconds. Vegas will dump it back in, and the clock will run out on Arizona. Vegas, the puck at center. It's all over at T-Mobile Arena. Mark andre Fleury, career shutout, number 66. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. <laughs> the groins aren't very good usually. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. We are three hours away from the NHL trade deadline. Golden Knights, ah, you think they end up doing anything, Ed? Are we are we talking tomorrow about a trade of any sort, or or is nothing going to happen and it's going to be boring? I can't believe that McPhee and McCrimmon, if that and if nothing happens, they might both pass out profusely sweating. I think they've got to do something, no matter what, because if they don't do something. I don't even know how they speak. The, 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 the throws will be dry. They can't have any water. I think they try to do something. You know what's interesting? Look, it's probably not going to happen because I don't know if they were hurt at all. But we don't know the total injuries on Reeves and Colasar. And Steve Karp just texted us, or tweeted something I thought was interesting. What if one of those go on LTIR? Because Reeves like the 1.7. I mean, they've already put... Pat Brown on it, and that clears 800000 which really doesn't do much. But what if those other two, and I'm just trying to figure out ways, Tyler, that they can get cap space right now to try to do something. Because we heard they were in on some deals last night, uh, guys who went elsewhere. So obviously, Emily Kaplan treated that this morning. Obviously, they're in on guys, and they're trying to make it happen. But they're going to have to be pretty creative with the cap. Yeah, I mean, so Patrick Brown growing on long-term IR actually gives them a chance to, to make a trade because – Cap friendly reported they're roughly eight hundred thousand dollars in cap space because of Patrick Brown going on long term IR, and the way you make eight hundred thousand dollars work is by having other teams retain salary. And what is the eight? I think that ends up being like three point two million. You could ultimately trade for a guy making about three million dollars because right, the team that has him right now retains half his salary. You trade him to a third team, you give them like a fourth round pick. They return half of what's left, and you're left paying a quarter of his salary against the salary cap. So the $800,000 can actually turn into about a $3 million player at the end of the day. And if Ryan, but you do have to find the teams to retain the salary and all that. It's complicated, but it's possible. Right. If Ryan Reeves were to go on long term IR, now that's $1.7 million. Now you've got basically right. $2.5 million. And you don't have to have anybody retain salary, or they can retain salary and you can make a big splash there. So it's it's possible that they can have the cap space if they put more players on long-term IR. Uh, so they, they can do something. They're just going to have to pay for it because to find two teams yes. to retain to retain salary, you got to give up even more picks or players or whatever that ends up being there for them. So what was curious to me is Emily Kaplan this morning reported that the Golden Knights were in on Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno, which were two mm-hmm. of the 
bigger names to be traded. Taylor Hall right. uh, went from Buffalo to Boston. They got a second-round pick and a player. Uh, Felino was traded to the Maple Leafs for a first-round pick, and they did. They used San Jose as a third team to retain some salary there as well. Those are two of the bigger names to move so far, which would imply if the Golden Knights were in on those players that the Golden Knights are interested and think they can find a way to actually make a trade for somebody that has yes. a decent salary. Yeah, because one went for a first, another went for a second, right? Um, and a player. So, I, again, um, I will, you know, I think they're going to have to maybe give up some picks if they get that level of players. Uh, although I you know, make the argument in terms of Taylor Hall right now, I'm not sure what you're getting back on him um, in terms of how he's playing. But they must be thinking about it, and they must have ways. And look, you're not, I'm not going to put anything past them. They're, they know this stuff way better than we do in terms of the cap and how it can be structured. And like you said, they've done this before where they've involved the third team at the deadline in the past. So I'll just be surprised. That's why I'm going to ask McCrimmon this, and that's why I asked Ryan Wallace. Now, they're going to say if they do nothing, they're good enough to win a cup. I'm not so sure how many people outside that organization believes that given, like we said, some of the other teams in the divisions, we're not going to see them play until the playoffs, if they even get to the Final Four. Um, I don't know, and I don't know if you can say it. I don't know if they're good enough. Again, it's a really hard statement to make because if they get to the Four, they'll have played this team the first time all year at that point. But if they do nothing, I can't see how anyone outside their room really says, oh, sure, they can win the Stanley Cup. Well, okay, so take take the, the report from Emily Kaplan. If they were in... On Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno, who, again, to this point, two of the biggest trades that have actually happened at the deadline. Right. That would imply they think they need to, to upgrade their yes. team. And yes. that would imply that if you're trying to upgrade your team, you don't think you're good enough to win right. it. Or you're, you're, you're trying to add something to your team. So I think that in itself is the answer there. Now... How serious were they about Felino? That's the thing or we Taylor don't know. Hall? Yeah. yeah, because like Felino's salary is five point five million. Taylor Hall's is eight million. So yeah. like when you say the Golden Knights were in on Taylor Hall, what in the hell were they having to do to find space for eight million dollars against the salary cap? That's, maybe, they were, that's, maybe they were moving on from a goalie. Right. That that's basically what the answer would be. Is that's almost the only way they could do it, unless it was one of the like Petrangelo or Stone, which would seem to be right. stupid. But like yeah. that that's the genuine question is how serious were they on Felino or Hall? Because if it was just a hey, they're available, let's make a call and see what they would want, okay, that we can't do that. Or if it was, hey, here's an offer and they were counter offering, then they obviously think they need to improve their team. So I I am fascinated to see. Avalanche, we've got a chance to get this guy. Can you retain $7 million of his salary? And we'll give you like a bit. We'll give you a six-rounder. Do this for us. It'll be okay. Yeah, that's a big salary. There'd have to be a third team there. Like you said, let's, hey, Mark andre it's been nice. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's well, go now. That's really the only way they could do it. Because even, even the way the NHL works, you can only retain half the salary when you get traded. So a guy making $8 million, for, for him, if he, even if he gets sent through a third team, the Golden Knights would still have had to have pay him $2 million. And as right. of right now, they only have $800,000 or so in cap space. Now, Reeves goes and they have plenty. But, like, again, even if they found the third team that would retain half his salary plus the original team, $8 million is it's just too much. It's too much for where the Golden Knights are in terms of the salary cap. So that would have been... Like, I'm telling you, it would have been incredible if all of a sudden, if between, hell, in the next three hours, if we find out they traded for anybody that's making $8 million, it's going to be incredible what they will have had to have done to actually figure that out. So, I so ultimately, 
does something happen today? I know uh, Sinbin put up a story that George McPhee, if you include his time with Washington and Vegas, has been a GM at 19 trade deadlines. He's made a trade during 16 of those 19 trade deadlines. So do you think McPhee does something just because McPhee always does something? Yeah, I think it's small, and he does do something. Now, again, no idea on the 16 of 19 what his cap situation was. I can't believe it was much worse than it is now. So that has a lot to do with it. And if they don't do anything, whether or not they they wouldn't tell us anyway, if they're a little worried that they can't contend all the way to the end for a cup, uh, and you've said it often, this is on them. They put themselves in this position. So no matter what they do, it'll probably be small. Um, But if they do nothing and they can't get anything done, then they need to look in the mirror and hope that they have enough to win it. Um, There's, you know, there's no one else that put themselves in a position to themselves. And maybe they're fine with that. Maybe they think they're good enough and and they can win a cup. And if that's it, that's fine. We'll see what happens. And then they'll kind of be evaluated and judged on what they do. But I don't know the 16 of 19, if he had this bad a cap situation, he might've been fine in the cap on most of those. (laughs) Who knows? What, I, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to say what I what his cap situation was in all those times. The other part that's interesting is the West Division, and it doesn't seem like there's much going on in this division. Uh, the the Avalanche traded for Devin Dubnik to be the backup goalie, which they 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 needed a better backup goalie. But you're probably not winning the Stanley Cup because you traded for a backup goalie at the deadline. But like. Is anybody in this division going to do anything? Like, you're sitting there with a, a few teams that have a chance to make a push for the playoffs. Uh, is is Arizona? Is is St. Louis? Are they going to make a trade? Is Minnesota going to do something to try to catch Vegas or Colorado? Like, it seems like nothing's happening in the West. We keep hearing the name. What do you think the name? Which is interesting because they're both in the West. Mike Kaufman from uh, St. Louis. I mean, he I don't, scores. Yeah, I mean, do you, he scores. I just don't know. And look, I guess yeah. it would have to be what you're getting back. But you're gonna really you're trying for the fourth playoff position, and you're gonna do anything for anyone ahead of you. I I'd have to get a lot back for that just because of that fact. If you're moving him out of the division, okay, and you, you want to move on from him. But I keep seeing his name with the Golden Knights, and more so, not that the Golden Knights wouldn't want him or he couldn't help. It's just that why would St. Louis do that? Well, I to, listen. If I mean, I'm St. Louis, I'm looking at it saying I don't have a chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. Like, if I'm St. Louis, I don't care that I could make the four spot in the West. I'm looking at it more, I'm not winning the Stanley Cup. We might make the playoffs, but we're not getting out of the, even the West part of the playoffs. So I don't care if I send Mike Hoffman, because I think Hoffman's, I think he only signed a one-year deal. So I don't care yes. if I send Mike Hoffman to, to Vegas for a year, because who cares if they beat us in the playoffs? We're and, and presumably next year the divisions will be back to normal. It won't even be in division next season. Right, so. Right. I, if I'm St. Louis, I don't care about that because I we're not winning the Stanley Cup. But it would be fascinating because, A, the Golden Knights could have signed Mike Hoffman in the offseason. Yes. Um, Which was reported they, that they were interested in that. Yeah, but they, they never did. And obviously they, they didn't have the salary cap space to when they couldn't move a goalie. Uh, but his cap hit is $4 million, which... Mm-hmm. Again, if you get a couple of teams to retain salary, you could get that down as low as a million the Golden Knights have to pay. Uh, I think St. Louis is really close to the salary cap, though, so I don't know that they'd even be able to retain any of the salary. So that's, yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to trade within the division, but I think if you're St. Louis right now, you're not even really looking at it as a standpoint of, hey, uh, we're trying to make the playoffs. You're looking at it more of, well, we've got an expiring asset, and if we can get a second-round pick, I don't know what it would be, a second-round pick for them, we might as well do that. 
I think they do something small. I think it's not a huge deal, but they add someone. Um, Ryan talked about Tuck. Uh, you know, Stone is Stone. He's their best player. So I don't know if anything, you know, dictates on him in terms of what they're going to I think it's more for maybe, like he said, and everyone has said, a center for the bottom six. And at that point, uh, given their salary cap situation, they might get someone, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. But if you're asking me if I think he does something, I think he does something because he seems to always do. I mean, he always seems to want to do something at the deadline. And if they don't, I don't really know if they believe they can win it all. They'll say they do. We're going to ask them today. They'll say they do. But I, I, like I said, I, they're going to have to get a lot better at certain spots, you know, if they even get out of the West, if they even get past Colorado. Yeah, I mean, they, they put together a really good team in the offseason that, that has a chance to win the Stanley Cup. But as, as they've played this season, you do get a little bit worried, especially with how good Colorado has been, that they can get out of the West. And that's why having cap space is, can be important during the season. That's why it was important last year that they sent Nick Waugh down 345 times was so that right. they could build as much cap space as possible before making trades for Alec Martinez and Robin Leonard close to the deadline. This year, they they haven't done that. They haven't been able to create that space. Maybe they can in the next couple of hours, but it'll probably be something relatively small if they do anything at all. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into Bischoff's briefs. Is Carl Joseph really going to be the only addition to the secondary this offseason? Bischoff's Briefs. I never realized baseball had so much butt touching. Bischoff's Briefs. That's how they communicate. Bischoff's Briefs. It's like Braille, but with butts. Bischoff's Briefs. Read my butt! Bischoff's Briefs today. Jumping into the Raiders secondary because the Raiders did in fact sign Carl Joseph over the weekend bringing back a former Raiders first round pick who played a total of one season away from the Raiders in Cleveland last year so the Raiders current safeties are Jonathan Abram, Jeff Heath, Dolan Levitt and now Carl Joseph. Normally the Raiders have carried four safeties during a season so that would seem to be the four safeties they're going to go with. Last year, their four safeties were Jonathan Abram, Jeff Heath, Dolan Levitt, and Eric Harris. So the only real change they have made is to go from Eric Harris to Carl Joseph. And here's my concern, that they're just going to be done with safety and that's it. Like, those are their four safeties and they think they're good to go. Uh, if that's the case, their safeties are going to suck again. Because last year, the Raiders had one of the worst secondaries in football. And if you use pro football focus as grading here, Jonathan Abram was ranked 94th out of 94 safeties by pro football focus. The worst safety safety in football last year was Jonathan Abram, according to pro football focus. Jeff Heath actually graded 16th last year. He barely played, but Jeff Heath graded 16th. was actually very good. Eric Harris was 69th, and Dolan Levitt didn't play enough to get a grade. Uh, So Eric Harris is gone at 69. Carl Joseph is in. Carl Joseph ranked 75th last year. So they didn't actually get any better with their safeties last season. And then if you expand to the rest of the secondary, it wasn't just the safeties that were bad. Damon Arnett 
was ranked 116th out of 121 cornerbacks last season. Trayvon Mullen was 82nd. Nevin Lawson was 80th. And LaMarcus Joyner, the slot corner, was 89th. So just using Pro Football Focus's rankings, the Raiders right now are on pace to start the 116th best cornerback alongside the 82nd best cornerback, the 94th best safety alongside the 75th best safety, and then they don't have a slot cornerback. So they presumably are going to sign one or draft one. If not, maybe it's Nevin Lawson, uh, who was, again, the 80th best cornerback last season. That's horrible. Like, you could argue that of all those players, not a single one of them should actually be a starter. And yet the Raiders are going to have to start five of those guys. Because, again, they had one of the worst secondaries in football last year, and all they've done is replaced Eric Harris with Carl Joseph, which is it's a wash. You're just substituting bodies at that point. There's no real improvement. So... How do the Raiders actually get better in the secondary next season based on what they have on the roster? Now, first off, they can still add more players, right? Malik Hooker is a safety that's out there who has been top 35 by Pro Football Focus the last two seasons, or excuse me, the two seasons before the last one. He was hurt last year, so he'd be taking a little bit of a chance on an injured player, but he has shown he's had some good seasons. Richard Sherman was only the 38th best cornerback by Pro Football Focus, but That would be better than anybody on the current roster. Uh, The problem is, can the Raiders afford that? They'd likely need to do some roster maneuvering to do that. They probably can't figure out how to get both in here. But they can still add a cornerback. They can still add a safety that helps the team. They can also draft players. uh, But we have not seen this team draft anyone any good in the secondary recently. I mean, Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett were round one picks. Uh, You got Isaiah Johnson and Amik Robertson on the roster who haven't made much of an impact at all. They're sort of middle round defensive backs. I don't know how much you'd really expect the Raiders to draft a defensive back and him be a top 50 player at his position next season so the other way that you kind of hope the defense gets better is you're relying on Gus Bradley to fix everything uh you know Jonathan Abram maybe he's more effective as a box safety uh maybe the cornerbacks play better in the cover three maybe Carl Joseph is better as the deep safety in that same type of setup all that could happen I just don't think that it's going to be that significant across the board that they're actually going to be that much better and then The last way that you're hoping the defense is actually better, the secondary is actually better, and I think this is what the Raiders are doing, they're simply relying on their players being better. They're relying on Mullen, Arnett, and Abram. Hey, it's your second or third season in the NFL. It's time to show improvement. The problem with that is, again, not a single one of those guys was top 80 at their position last year. So even if they get a lot better, What does that mean? That they're the 55th, the 60th best cornerback or safety in football? Like, if they're all 55th, that's still a bad secondary. You're still a bad defense. So when you see the Carl Joseph signing, there's nothing really wrong with bringing Carl Joseph. The problem is that's the only thing they've done in the secondary this year, which was one of the worst in football. So I just don't see how right now you can look at this team and say they're going to be better defensively next year when the secondary is the exact same that it was last season. It's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts to get to uh, any kind of confident play. And uh, not saying Gus Bradley isn't a really good defensive coordinator, but a lot of times it comes down to players, man. It usually comes down to players. I mean, you can put schemes in, and he can bring, uh, you know, he can bring his defense in. But I'm more interested in because I do think uh, Jonathan Abram will be more in the box. I'm more interested in that free safety spot. And if it is Carl Joseph, 
Uh, as we had Austin Gale on last last week, you know, he played a lot in the box. He missed a lot of tackles. He was overmatched physically, so maybe he'd be better back there. But are you really relying on Carl Joseph being the answer there? I mean, at this point, they are because they don't have anyone else. And I don't know unless you draft uh, the TCU kid at 17, which I still don't think they're going to do. I still don't think they draft him at 17. You're going to have to wait on a safety after that because there's not a lot of great ones in the draft. I That's a huge risk if Carl Joseph is starting free safety on, on that scheme. I mean, it's just... Um, yeah. it's just, it just is like Gail said, I mean, you have to play free safety. You have to play center field. You have to really know what you're doing at all times. And I don't know, look, they, they kind of moved on from Carl Joseph and now yeah, they've brought too- him back. I mean, it, it's, it, that's almost, I don't want to completely say desperation, but it seems a little desperate. There's Malik Hooker. There's other guys who were out there and they went back to Carl Joseph. So he was, I don't really know what a- that means. He was a first round pick. Now, granted, it was it was not by Gruden; it was by Reggie McKenzie. But he was a first right. round pick that the Raiders two off seasons ago decided we're not picking up his fifth year option. Right. We're not going to pick up his fifth year option as a first round pick still on his rookie contract. They let him walk after four years as a number one pick with this team, and then an off season later, they decide, yeah, that guy wasn't too bad. Let's get him back in here. Like <laughs> if the defense. If the defense had been good when Carl Joseph was here, then maybe you could understand why you might want to try to bring one of those guys back. Sure. But the defense was bad when Carl Joseph was here. It was bad when Carl Joseph wasn't here. Guess what? It's going to be bad again next year if that's the best improvement they make to the secondary is Carl Joseph. Because, again, there's nothing wrong with Carl Joseph. It's just that that's the only change they've made. And, again, you you can't even really call it an improvement because Eric Harris is gone and Carl Joseph is in. Okay? Like – they're basically the same level of player. There's no significant difference between Eric Harris and Carl Joseph as far as how no. talented one is than the other. So you can't really say they've been better. The only the only tangible thing that I think you can point to and say, well, the secondary could be better because Yannick and Gakwe will get to the quarterback more than they got last year. That's the only tangible thing I can point to, but that to me... I, well, that doesn't hold up a whole lot because I'm not sure Yannick Ngakwe is really going to be getting to the quarterback that often. Yeah. Like, he's going to be an improvement. But, again, it's not like Yannick Ngakwe is going to get 16 sacks this year and he's just a one-man wrecking crew. It's a it's an improvement, but not necessarily a massive one that I don't think will have the ripple effect of the secondary. And real quick, the reason Gus Bradley's defense was so good is look at his defensive lineman, right, over the years. Yes. Whether yeah. it's Seattle or the Rams, I mean, he, he had or the Chargers he had some of the best defensive linemen in the league. I don't think that's the case here, which really makes that free safety spot even more important because they're not going to get to the quarterback like he did at other places. Yeah, it's it's they need they need the pressure on the quarterback. They have tried to address that this offseason. They just haven't done anything with the secondary. All right. Coming up next, we are going to join or be joined by Tashawn Reed of the Athletic, and I can yell at him to figure out if he thinks the Raiders are done adding safeties this season. I think um, you know, Nothing's promised in his business, um, but like I said, I, I met that. I told Coach Gruden that I didn't want to leave. Um, you know, uh, you know, I thought I wanted to, to finish my career as a Raider, and hopefully, I get that opportunity this time around. And um, you know, uh, but yeah, man, that's that's pretty much it. I, I think that this is where I was meant to be. I think uh, I look I look good in black and silver. We're back to the press box morning show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now from The Athletic is Tashawn Reed. Tashawn, how are you this morning? Good, hey, man. Tashaun. How are you doing? 
We are good. So uh, is Carl Joseph going to be the only safety the Raiders add this offseason? <laughs> I don't think so. We weren't if they're going to add one at all, right? I mean, <laughs> as long as they took. But I think they should still draft one personally. Um, I know Mayock and Gruden have kind of been, you know, not sounding that excited about, you know, adding another young defensive back given all the ones they drafted in recent years. But I think it would be a smart move to do so. You know, Tashawn, when you look at it and Gus Bradley coming in, I think that was the concern of everyone, like, okay, who's going to be play free safety? But before you came on, we also mentioned that a part of that and part of maybe why his safety has been good in the past have been his down linemen and his edge rushers, and he's had some of the best in the NFL. Uh, Ngakwe is probably an upgrade, but can you see that kind of being an issue and why people are worried in that if they don't get that kind of push, those guys in the back end are going to be susceptible, and are they really good enough back there to kind of hold up? Yeah, I think the big thing with, with Gus Bradley, you know, his cover three scheme is um, he's kind of like, and it's going to scare people, but he's kind of like Paul Gunther in the fact that like, he doesn't blitz often. <laughs> you, the front four is really, there's a lot of pressure on them to get pressure, you know, without having additional help from blitzers. And so, um, you know, like you said, it's really important to have not only guys on the edge, but, you know, being able to get an interior pass rush. And I think that's probably, you know, why you see them as, 15, three techniques this off season so far. Um, you know, I think Yannick gives him a nice boost on the edge. Uh, also think, I mean, you know, Max Crosby had 17 sacks in his first two years. Cleveland Farrell has shown he can set the edge a little bit. Um, you know, not saying that that is great right now, but I think it's definitely better than it was last year. Um, and, you know, if they can salvage, you know, a guy like Carl Nassib to be useful since they decide to hold on to him. But, I think edge is still a position we could see them address in the draft. I don't think it's their number one need anymore. I don't think it's something that they could they should address like in the first round, for example. I just don't think this this edge rusher class is like filled with different make, difference makers like that. But there are some guys they can get on day two that kind of have some long term upside that that could even become starters one day. So I think it's, it's you know they've improved it, but like you said, given how much pressure is on you know the front four in this system. You know, I think it's going to be a position group that they look to continue to add to until they kind of have that breakthrough. How much do you believe a new coach, a new scheme with Gus Bradley can actually make this defense better versus them just simply needing better players? It's always a mix of both, right? Um, but I do think that, you know, a simpler scheme, because um, that was one of the issues, you know, kind of, marrying, you know, having a bunch of young defensive players with having a super complex defensive scheme just always sounded like a disaster. And so having a scheme that's extremely simple, you know, cover three is, is pretty straightforward. Not to say that they don't mix things up at times because they do, but that's typically going to be their base coverage out of, you know, the four two five front that they use with two linebackers on the field. So that piece of it will be familiar because that's what they did a lot. They ran a lot of nickel last year. Um, so there's going to be a little bit of symmetry and maybe guys don't have to make as much of a learning curve this year. Um, you know, I, I think it could help guys who maybe, you know, were struggling a little bit, maybe get them to that next level. Maybe not, you know, I, I don't think, you know, a scheme change is necessarily going to take like a bad player to and suddenly turn him into a great player, right? You know, you still need that personnel upgrade. And I think, you know, we, that's why you see them go out and get somebody like Yannick, Yannick and, you know, maybe make additional moves through the draft. So, um, you know, I think it, it'll help, but he definitely – you know, especially given, you know, like we were saying, for the, with the front four, for example, he needs certain things for his system to work, you know, with, with like free state's position, talking about Carl Joseph, he needs somebody that can play sideline to sideline and center fielder. So he doesn't have particular needs that they maybe didn't have when he was hired that they're trying to fill out now. But I, I'll probably say it's like a 50-50 split. 
if they just stay where they're at and not, you know, I guess reach people have thought they might have reached in the past for some guys, but that might be a who's on their board. What do you do with their pick? Offensive tackle? Like what they what should they do just to get better right away and not kind of try to reach or, or think overthink the room? I think it's pretty simple. Uh, at 17, um, my thought process is always they should take either an offensive tackle or a safety. It just depends which uh, you know player they had rated higher on their board. Now that I think you know adding Carl Joseph, not to say that he's you know 100 the long term solution. You know, I'm sure it's just a, I think it's just a one year deal. Um, even if he's going to start this year, I think offensive tackle now is pretty clear cut like their number one priority, or it should be. It's their biggest need and. I think people kind of get lost in, like, drafting for me doesn't mean you're necessarily not taking the best player. Like, the best player at 17 could very well be an offensive tackle, you know? And so, right. uh, you know, I, I really like Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, but there's a ton of other guys uh, in that first round. They'll kind of be in that range. It just kind of is a matter of who, who's on the board. But I think that's the position they should address. It's a, it's a deep class this year. But, um, you know, after you get past day one, you know, you may get a guy in day two who can become a starter one day. But I think the Raiders really need somebody who can start on that right side from day one. Otherwise, they're going to be relying on basically Brandon Parker to be the starter at right tackle, and I don't think he's shown enough to be comfortable with them being comfortable doing that, you know, potentially for an entire season. So I think they need to address that early at 17 or even if they move up a little bit um, and, and get somebody that can be a day one starter on that right side. If, if we're talking about an offensive line that's got Andre James, Denzel Good, and a rookie starting center to the right side, do you think the offense takes a step back this year? It depends how much development we see, I think, at the wide receiver position. You know, if, if Henry Ruggs, uh, you know, shows kind of those traits more frequently that, that let him be drafted, being the first receiver drafted last year, you know, Brian Edwards take a step forward. John Brown kind of feels that Nelson Aguilar role. I think, you know, if they get more out of that position group, because I think that was, you know, we could say that that position group was a disappointment last year, even with Nelson Aguilar having his big year. Um, you know, maybe it can kind of offset. and uh, You know, but it's, it's going to be tough. You know, there's, there's a lot of turnover on the offensive line. Even if Andre James is a serviceable starter, Rodney Hudson, you know, arguably the best center in the league, that's, that's a pretty big drop-off, you know. Um, and it's going to take time for him and, and Derek Carr to get their chemistry worked out. And we even saw some issues last year with the offensive line that they had when it came to the running game. You know, they they were pretty high in terms of rushing yards per game, but the efficiency wasn't that great. Josh Jacobs didn't have a very efficient year. Um, you know, obviously they they bolstered that, that running back room a little bit more. But even if you can have all the running back talent in the world, if they don't have anywhere to run, it's not really going to you know do anything for you. So I, I think it's kind of, you know, if they get – kind of pluses in other areas. You know, it seems like they got pluses at running back and wide receiver. You know, if they get big enough jumps in, in those position groups, maybe the offense can stay the same. But if they don't, then it's probably going to be a step back just because I don't, I don't really see a way that, that the offensive line is as good as, as last year. At, when all is said and done, obviously they have to have money for their draft picks. Um, when you look back at it, you talked about the receivers and Drake and these guys offensively. Is it a fair assessment at this point for people to wonder – why more money has not spent defensively and they've gotten receivers and Drake and all these guys on offense. Definitely. Especially um, considering uh, I know even though, even though the offensive line was beat up last year, I still would call it a strength of the team. The unit played pretty well given the circumstances. And, you know, if you're going to tear that down, one of your biggest strengths 
you would think you would use that money to address your biggest weakness, which is obviously defense. You know, the, basically the worst defense in franchise history last year. And outside of Yannick, you know, they hadn't really done that. You know, they had some, you know, they obviously had you know, all the defensive tackles, but most of those deals were like one-year deals, smaller deals. Um, they, they basically haven't, up until Carl Joseph, they hadn't touched the secondary, and it kind of jumped out of strange. You know, even now, uh, since they let go of LaMarcus Joyner, they still need, you know, a starting nickelback. You know, maybe they, you know, go get somebody like Richard Sherman and move Arnett over to the inside. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's a fair question, especially – you know, when one of the positions that you spent money on at running back, you already have a rookie who's arguably, you know, what, a top 10 running back at this point. Why did you need to go spend, you know, $11 million total on a backup running back? Um, so I think it's, it's fair to critique that. Um, you know, we'll see, you know, how they address it in the draft. But even then, like, you know, how much are you expecting rookies to come in and, and transform a defense that was as bad as it was last year? Um, you know, we, we'll see how the rest of the offseason plays out. You know, maybe some of those guys, you know, Casey Hayward is still out there. You know, a veteran nickelback who played under, under Bradley last year. Like I said, Richard Sherman is still out there. You know, maybe by the end of the offseason, it looks a little bit better. But right now, I do think it's fair to question, you know, why they haven't addressed that side of the ball a little bit more. Uh, John Gruden loves his versatility, loves Colin Kenyon Drake type players, uh, the Joker. So, where do you think Kenyon Drake actually ends up this year in terms of most targets on the team? Is he going to be in the top five of this team for most targets? Um, I hope so, or at least you know, to, to justify the move. Um, you know, apparently they're they're planning to line him up at at receiver pretty often. Um, but even then, you know, they don't. Uh, you know, the Raiders. I think last year they were the thirty second ranked team in the league when it came to their amount of receiver targets. Um, you know, they're really a team that throws heavily to tight ends. Obviously, with Darren Waller, and you know, you want to see some of the young guys like Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards get more involved, and so. Uh, and then even Josh Jacobs, like he's an every down player, so it's kind of hard to take him off the field. So I just don't, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's enough opportunity to end up making that signing warranted. You know, even if they want to, it's like, all right, are you going to take Josh Jacobs off the field to put Keenan Drake on the field, even if he's fine, or you know, Henry Ruggs or Hunter Renfro or Darren Walker, you know, whoever the sub is, right? It's like, how can you, like, can you really justify it enough to where you end up using them enough? to warrant the money that they spent. So I don't know if – I don't think he ends up getting there. I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, injuries happen, of course. You know, Jacobs has been beat up his first two years, so maybe that happens. But uh, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't think the chances are, are really high at this point. This is uh, obviously pretty simplistic, but I want you to compare it to last year as we get towards OTAs, mini camps, whatever, what the pandemic will allow. Given the roster, I mean – how important is it that it gets back to normal for these guys if you're bringing these new guys in? And, and how much do you think it did hurt last year while it hurt everyone across the league? One second. I, I couldn't hear you for a second. What did you say? Well, I'm just talking about the importance now of just getting back to normal, whether it's OTAs, mini camps, rookie mini camps. It hurt everyone across the league. But mm-hmm. say specific to the Raiders of how important this is that it gets back to normal for this specific roster. Yeah, I definitely think um, anytime you have a coordinator change, uh, you want to get on that as far as implement, implementing the system as quickly as they can. Um, you know, like I said, it's a simple system, but it still takes time to install and get guys to learn that. And you don't want to be doing that over Zoom calls again. You know, you want to get on the field, and especially this team is still so young, right? And so um, they have eight draft picks right now. I don't know if they're going to end up with eight rookies, but let's say they do end up with eight rookies. Like, it's so dire that those guys, you know, can get on the that they don't wait until don't have to wait until training camp to get their first on field work because we saw how that worked out, 
you know, for their rookie class last year. And I, I think that undoubtedly affected guys, and not only the rookies, but, you know, some of the free agent signings that they brought in. And so a guy like Yannick, even though he's a veteran, um, you know, he's got to, you know, he got moved around multiple times last year. I'm sure that was a lot of transition. You know, it would be a good, good for a guy like that even to, to be able to get in early and get some work. So I think that's really instrumental. You know, this kind of – this is – a really big year for them, you know. I mean, last year was too. Of course, that was kind of the expected year, year three. You finally break through and make the playoffs. It looked like they were on the way before they crumbled again. And so year four, it's like, all right, like, is this just going to be the norm or are you probably going to break through? And, um, you know, if, if you're going to put together kind of breakthrough, you need everything you can to go your way. And, you know, it's not like they'd be the only team affected by that. Obviously, all 32 teams are going to be under the same circumstances no matter how it plays out. But, I think especially for them, given where they are, this is really crucial that they have a, as much of a normal offseason as they can. Well, he is Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. Tashawn, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Thank you. Sean. Appreciate y'all having me on. There he is. Yeah, it's good stuff oh. there. They got I would imagine, Tyler, shortly after the draft, they'll be starting to make some kind of announcements on these uh, on these OTAs and, dra- and minicamps. they got to get back, not just the Raiders, but the entire league, to make it a better better season this year. Yeah, I'm I'm curious are are all states at this point like all states are fine with sort of sports practicing, right? Like there's not yeah. a state out there that would prevent any of the teams from practicing, right? I don't think so. I mean, especially okay. Lindsay's well, they usually have rookie mini camp like a week or two after the draft, which is in April and the first week of May. I I mean, I, 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 for the Raiders' sake, it can't be Derek Carr at the local uh, park with people videotaping him this year. They better get like into a situation where they're actually practicing things. Oh, but remember how great the leadership was, and it was oh, going to make a difference. Great leadership, yeah, great leadership. <laughs> well, they went from seven to eight wins. That's leadership. Well, to be fair, Derek Carr was pretty good, and Nelson Aguilar well, was, was pretty good. good. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the problem was the yeah. defense wasn't out there working in the park too. <laughs> we didn't see any defensive drills there at the local park, did we? No, the offense no. is fine. Derek Carr was fine. He's got to get his defensive guys out there actually yeah. covering the people he's throwing to. If they had gotten Jonathan Abram and Damon Arnett there to play some coverage on the oh. receivers, maybe they would have made the playoffs last year. Not <laughs> good of, enough some leadership. Of guys, some of these guys got to get out of the gym with jeans wearing Sam Gordon, get on the field and cover somebody. <laughs> Michigan is still averaging 7,359 cases per day. So the Lions... Oh, the poor lions, they can't catch a they break. They don't even the need. They they don't need. They don't want to practice, though, right? They want to be bad this season. I mean, that's why I you mean, trade they, away Stafford for Jared Goff, right? You're yeah, trying I mean, to be bad, even when they want to be good. Yes, I mean, yes, we, we yes, we're lions. fully aware. We're fully yes, we're fully aware. Even when they want to be good, it's not going to work out. But if they do it on purpose, it's perfectly fine. All right, coming up next, trade deadline is approaching in the NHL, and we finally got some rumors involving the Golden Knights. We're back to the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Oh, it's the trade deadline. I don't know if the Golden Knights are going to make a move, but we've got rumors or suggestive tweets. One from Andy Strickland that suggested that Ryan Getzlaff would waive his no-movement clause to get traded from Anaheim to Vegas, and another from Anthony Sanfilippo in Philadelphia, who reports that Nolan Patrick could be headed 
to the Golden Knights before the trade deadline. So first off, let's start with Ryan Getzlaff, because Ryan Getzlaff this year, he has three goals in 37 games. So he has not been that productive. Granted, he's playing for a bad team in the Ducks, but you talk about an older player who has not been productive. His salary is $8.25 million. You would have to do a lot of work. The Golden Knights would have to yeah. do a lot of work to get $8.25 million and Ryan Getzlaff in here. And yeah. I'm not sure that's worth it for what Ryan Getzlaff has been this season. Yeah. That's a lot of retaining on somebody else's end. Yes. I mean, that's a it lot. Is. That's a huge That's a huge number. That's the one thing. That's the one kind of deal I think we've all said in the last few weeks that they wouldn't be able to make. Yeah, is and, and that type of move. And, and again... You can make that move, but as I've been saying, the Golden Knights' best chance to win a Stanley Cup is to trade one of the goaltenders. And if you trade one of the goaltenders, you can acquire somebody that makes $8 million or something like that. Right. The problem is, I, I don't know if Getzlaff is that type of player, if, that, if he's the player you want to make that move for. Right? Yeah. Like That, to me, is the, is the question there. Is if you're going to acquire somebody that's making $8 bucks. Like that's we're talking Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo and Max Pacioretty money there. You want him to be that type of player, and Ryan Getzlaff isn't that anymore. Now it's right. there's only one year left on it, so it's not a massive deal that you got to deal with after this year. But like, I just don't know that he'd be worth making all the moves they'd have to do to make that type of trade. Who's Jan Mark? Uh, Matthias Janmark. He plays for the Blackhawks. Okay, Pierre LeBron just said. All signs point to Matthias Janmark ending up in Vegas. Oh, there we go. So he play. he's a center, I believe. So that's potentially a third-line center for the Golden Knights. I don't know. I'll have to look up how much he actually makes there. <laughs> we have uh, to cover it in detail tomorrow. Yeah, well, if they actually make a trade, we can cover it in detail tomorrow. But uh, that would be like that would be one that probably makes more sense because he only makes $2.25 million. The other thing that uh, Dave Chang just tweeted, uh, uh, retweeted, Ryan Reeves' injury could be long, so it's possible long-term injured resist list. And that's what we said earlier in the show, 1.7 million hit there. If they put him on a, a long-term injury, then all of a sudden more space is immediately cleared. Man, how convenient that Ryan Reeves gets hurt in a game with five minutes to go and is going to get to go on long-term IR the day before the regular ultimate season. Ultimate team or the player. Trade deadline. He's the ultimate team how, player. How convenient that Ryan Reeves would get hurt the day before the trade deadline. When, and the best part about that, he got hurt and nobody even knew. We didn't know he got Matthias, hurt. Matthias, $2.25 million for one-year deal. 